Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is the Monday Madness edition. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lay Maurice. Hope as you all are listening to this, you feel better than Justin Fields did when he woke up this morning after what the Cleveland Browns did to him yesterday in his first start as an NFL quarterback. Doug, you were there in person watching that. Were you watching it like with your hands covering your eyes? Much of that. I, I, I grew up a Bears fan. I try to watch. I try to still follow the Bears. But regardless of who you're following, that was painful to watch. Yeah, so I went to, I took my daughter to the game. My daughter, who is a Browns fan and a Justin Fields fan. And it was odd to watch because it was like Miles Garrett being Miles Garrett and Justin Fields, it felt like he didn't have a chance to be Justin Fields. But part of the issue is that, and, and the column that I put up at cleveland.com on Monday morning, um, you know, there's no Miles Garrett's at Rutgers. So he took nine sacks. Miles Garrett had four and a half, which set the Browns record for sacks in a game. There were a couple where Justin like tried to escape and he, most of the time, you know, the things that he did escape every game he's played in his life, he would have gotten away and made a play. And, and now, you know, Miles Garrett tracks you down. Um, he did hold the ball a little bit. That's going to be part of who he is. That's part of who he was in college. He holds the ball because he wants to make a play, but a lot of it was, he just never had a chance because the bears offensive line got overwhelmed. You know, Matt Nagy was talking after the game. He came in and did this, the coach stuff where it's like, it's my fault. It's all on me. It's buck stops with me kind of stuff, which is good. But also like sometimes I think he's from the Andy Reid tree and Andy Reid does that all the time. When I was in Philadelphia, Andy Reid would just come in and be like, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. It's like, okay, can we just have like a human conversation about it? Yeah. You didn't call it good. It's like they, they take the blame so much. You can't blame them. Right. It's like, well, let's shut down any conversation well, about I, you saying yeah, I stink because I'm saying I stink. And it's like, OK, well, we still want to have the conversation. He was saying, you know, we knew what we wanted to do as the Bears, which is let Justin get outside a little bit, you know, make some plays on the edge. And he was like, but the Browns also knew what we wanted to do, which was that. And then they have, Mark, you know, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and didn't let let Justin do that. I thought. There were a couple times like when he tried to rip throws, right? Here comes the pressure. And most of the time the guys were covered. I didn't think he was like incredibly confused. He just couldn't find anything. I didn't, I didn't know that I thought he didn't know what he was seeing. He just didn't have time to do anything. And then I did, you know, the, all, the four rookie quarterbacks started yesterday, the five quarterbacks in the first round. Everybody's starting now except Trey Lance, who's the wrinkle in San Francisco. But Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones all lost yesterday and all looked bad. I think they had something like – I can look it up. They took like 17 – I mean, Justin took nine of them. But they, they took a boatload of sacks. They only had like a 55% completion percentage combined. They averaged like 179 yards passing game uh, – passing yards total. And they threw like two touchdowns and seven interceptions, whatever. Like they're all confused. So that's the context. They're young, they're on bad teams, and they're all confused. 
and Justin, you know, didn't have a chance to be Justin. And he said, like, I've never, I never experienced this before. He literally, I assume that was the first time in his life as a starting quarterback when he took the field as a starting quarterback and wasn't the best player on the field. And now, okay, we can, well, when they played Clemson or what, I get it. I know what you're saying. All right. Well, Devontae Smith, but but like that, Hey, I'm going to do this. And that Miles Garrett is like, no, you're not. And so that's a learning experience, but he's obviously the guy there. And the bears are not at the moment built to support that with their offensive line or with Matt Nagy's trying to do offensively. So he's going to be there for a while. I'm not sure the other people who were involved with that game for Chicago are going to be there long-term. So he'll, he'll figure it out. But I tried to talk to him. I I tried to talk to him. I went in the press conference, COVID stuff. I get it. Cause I sat with my daughter, but then I had a press pass. I went in after the game and I went to the bears press conference. Then I, I waited in the hallway and he was walking out and I was like, Hey, Justin, and I said, it's Doug from Ohio State. And then I took off my mask and he was like, hey. And I was like, hey, can I ask about CJ? And the Bears guy was like, no, 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 no. The PR guy was like, no, 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 no. He's done, he's done. And I was like, hey, I know him. I covered him for two years. He's like, no, no, no. And then like they got the other Bears PR guy and the other Bears guy was like, no, no, no. He did his media. And I was like, I'm just asking about Ohio State. He's like, he doesn't want to talk about Ohio State. I said, well, CJ's this guy. I thought maybe he'd want to talk about it. I didn't want to waste it. I'm not going to do that to the Bears beat writers who flew to Cleveland from Chicago and then go in there and like ask two Ohio state questions when they're trying to do their job, when this is like the great Chicago hope. And it's like, Oh my God, this Ohio state. I wouldn't do that to the other reporters, but then I'm going to try to get him. It's like, I know, it's like, I know him better than you guys do bears PR guys. And I wouldn't trail a guy and say, Hey, I just want to ask you four more questions about getting sacked nine times after he just asked, answered six questions about that. I wouldn't do that, but I thought he might want to talk about Ohio state. He's like, Oh, he doesn't want to talk about Ohio state. It's like, are, are you sure? I know he's probably in a bad mood and he's, and he's ticked off, but you know what Ohio State is? Great memories. Those are his guys. Does he want to say, hey, CJ, don't, you know? Yeah. So that ticked me off a little bit. I mean, it's fine. I don't care about getting yelled at, but it's like, don't act like I'm assaulting somebody because I'm trying to ask questions about something that people in, happen to care about. I'm sorry you got sacked nine times, but chill out, Bears PR. It's touchy, I think, sometimes in the pros, right? Because it's, they have media obligations in a way that they don't in college like those guys are required in some ways to go do those things so then I think they then protect them outside of whatever the 10 minutes you know what I mean like they get testy about it what are you I, but, what are you working PR you working PR now whose side no, are you on no I'm, I'm trying to just give people some insight into how those people think but I you know who could tell you that he doesn't want to talk about Ohio State Justin Fields he can tell you to get lost like why don't why they don't give those people some autonomy I, I don't know it's it, whatever but I, I I agree with you and, and we've all had situations like that I, I it's you know he has in <laughs> I was thinking about this in relation to what we're going to talk about next, which is Kyle McCord, which is, yes, actually Justin Fields supposedly has faced a player like Miles Garrett when he supposedly went up against Chase Young in practice, but it reinforces how poor of a substitute those situations actually are for when you go in and just, and you are under attack and, and, and how different, um, how, how it's such a poor substitute uh, because I was thinking about that in relation to then what we saw from Kyle McCord over the weekend, which is going into a game for the first time, truly out under the lights, truly out under the crowd um, and in having to sort of adjust to that in real time, which I thought we saw a little bit just as far as like him getting comfortable again. But I, I rewatched all the throws he made again on Saturday. Did you also do the same thing? Go back through what I did. What you did. I came away, I think, reinforced with how I saw the game Saturday night. Did you come away with any different impressions? Well, so, so remind people what you're reinforcing. You reinforced reinforcing what opinion? that I, I didn't see. I didn't see anything there that was substantially better than anything I've seen from C.J. Stroud, and actually thought I saw still just a just better a better foundation for Stroud right now. So you asked after the game, like we were talking about how many yards, how many of Kyle's 319 passing yards were like yards after the catch and how many were air yards, right? I tracked it. Yeah. I tracked it. So 
319 passing yards. I had 123 air yards and the rest yards after the catch. So 196 yards after the catch. He started five of nine for 99 yards. Four of those five completions were behind the line of scrimmage. His total air yards in his first five completions was minus three. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was minus four, minus four, minus two, seven, zero were the air yards. Because like those jet sweeps, you're, those are like they're catching it four yards behind the line of scrimmage on the jet sweeps, right? But then... He had the 26, yard, 26 air yards on the 34-yard touchdown to Jackson Smith the Jigma that I thought Jackson Smith the Jigma did a nice job working back to the ball, but he did sort of put it in a spot where JSN could kind of box out the defender and make a play on the ball, and he did a good job, and they got the touchdown there. He did hit a couple crossers. I forgot. He had two throws over the middle. I'm always, in, I'm always looking out for throws over the middle, throws where there's a little bit of risk. It's not just – hey, just make sure you throw an out in front of the corner and there's no risk of a pick or any of that stuff, right? Or it's just a deep ball where it's like it's either going to be a touchdown or an incompletion. I'm intrigued by those. I thought the throw to Garrett late in the first half to set up the field goal, 37 air yards on a 39-yard completion, I thought that was a good throw. I thought that was a good throw. And then, obviously, he got the freebie 17 air yards on the 85-yarder to Emeka Buko, where he went crazy and made a great move and ran almost for a touchdown. I thought that I still think I thought Kyle McCord's best throws to me look a little better than CJ's best throws. Now CJ can throw a nice deep ball, but CJ has missed some stuff and it's sort of the repeat of sort of what we talked about. Kyle's worst stuff, right? The, the, the trying to make the throw in the interception and the first series, again, I, the first series is almost not worth talking about. He was just so nervous. He couldn't even yeah. hold on to the football. But And then they did a good job with the jet sweeps. But it's not like they jet sweeped all game. They gave him two jet sweeps early to get him going. You didn't see – so I guess the question is, you think he's worse than C.J. Stroud right now, or you think he's not better? Well, <laughs> wait, because the question the is – well, the difference is if you think they're pretty close, then why wouldn't you still take a look at him? If you think oh, he's again, he's I, definitely one... not better, then then it's like okay, he's not better. It's CJ's to, it's CJ's job clearly. Again, I'm the one who's been advocating to find a way to get both of those guys into games early. I've been advocating for that since before the no, season. No, I know we don't have to cover what we. I'm just well, but I'm just we know you did that. But, so, I know. but going forward, you would play him against Rutgers, yes or no? Now that you rewatched, you would. I wouldn't Kyle start him. No, I think CJ Stroud should start. You would himself. play him, but you would play him against yes. Rutgers, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So would I. And see, and see, I think he throws it pretty good. I think CJ makes better decisions, and has missed some stuff. Neither are particularly mobile, or at least. I don't know. They didn't show it. They might be more than that. You know, CJ had the good first down run that got called back by a hold against Oregon. But neither, you know, Kyle took a couple sacks where the pressure came and he just kind of turtled a little bit and, and protected the ball and took a sack, which is fine for a young quarterback. I get that too. You don't want him running around doing crazy stuff. But I think you can see what's there with the arm. I think you can see that. And I did think he was pretty... I thought he was pretty accurate once he got going, once he got the nerves out. I, I did think he was pretty accurate. And CJ has missed some throws at times. It doesn't mean that CJ is inaccurate. But I would want to see more. My conclusion is the stats are puffed up. The first series was really, really shaky. And then once he got going a little bit, I thought he made like four or five or six pretty good throws. In the end, Five of his 13 completions were at or behind the line of scrimmage and eight were not. So he, but he had, he had five of his 13 completions went at least 16 yards in the air. So decent. I thought decent, intriguing more than anything else. I thought I saw that upside reinforcing to me that there's something there that I'd like to see a little bit more of, but I also would really like to see, I'm eagerly awaiting healthy CJ Stroud, like yeah. shoulder rested CJ Stroud. Let's give that guy a chance to be at his best, which I think it is probably fair to say he has not been so far from a health perspective and credit to him for battling and playing as well as he has in a lot of the time through a shoulder issue. 
Yeah, I think that is that was the point I was going to make too. Is that as much as I think we've seen a, a promise here from Comicord and something that um, it, it's giving him, you know, he needs to be given the chance to show what he does next. There's been enough good things from C.J. Stroud that we need to see what he can do when he's healthy, and I, it, it, or at least find out he needs to get back on a field, and we get to find out you know, how much of what we saw when we were nitpicking him through those first three performances and all those throws are going high and wide, like how much of that was the shoulder? Like once, if the shoulder's good, then how does it look? Um, it, it's all just part of, again, it's like, it's, it's a new data set each week. It, it's, if, if the stakes weren't so high, if this were an NFL season, as you pointed out before, I, this would be kind of a fun time, I think, as an Ohio State fan to kind of watch these guys figure it out almost in real time. You, you're good enough that the rest of the team is, and the weapons are there and, the defense is coming around. You could be like, okay, well, this is going to be – maybe this is a playoff team regardless, and we get to sort of, you know, do this experiment in real time and find out who the best quarterback is. The problem is, like, the stakes are pretty high. And the stakes and, – and they can't take any game for granted, as we're going to talk about later here, um, I- including Rutgers. But I, I, I hear what you're saying as far as McCord. What did you think? In terms of mobility – that wasn't something we really got to see McCord do anything with. Um, they, they ran him on like one quarterback sneak. Um, he took a couple sacks that I didn't really, I didn't know how much I blamed him for that. I thought there was a really nice stunt kind of from Akron on one of those that, that got to him in the backfield. Another one looked like Dewan Jones maybe just got beat, but how much do you think that has to factor into this? Stroud also hasn't been especially mobile. Hasn't really had a chance to, to show off the legs either. I mean, it's a draw, right? They don't seem to have a guy who's going to be at the moment doesn't look particularly dangerous with his legs. So that's a lovely added bonus that I doesn't feel like this offense has at the moment. And that a lot of that comes with confidence because a big part of what of running, they're not going to do a ton of called runs with these guys. That's clear at the moment again, but the scramble stuff is confidence. It's just, is the decision-making again of things got a little goofy. What do I see? Is it time to go? Let's go. And I think they're both at a point where they're a little not exactly sure when to go, which then when you do go, you don't look so dangerous on the run. Yeah, I think it has to be a little bit tough, I think, for a young quarterback, because in some ways, like the play call comes in from your head coach, not just your offensive coordinator, but like the head coach. And then it's like, well, this play that was just called is the job I've been given to do. So at what point in this process is it okay for me to bail on the job? That may be like too heady of a way to look at it, but I think that that process does go on in a, in a young quarterback's head a little bit but we also see young quarterbacks who are like first read's not there i'm out yeah and they're gone which yeah. which if that's not better like right. hey right. cj cj and kyle aren't doing much with their legs well it's because they're like hanging around trying to make a play with their arm which is the better thing because you're never going to progress if every time the first read's covered you just take off so i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm saying yeah we agree that it's like it's it's It'll be interesting to watch that progress, but I don't think either of them are Justin. I don't think either of them are Braxton Miller. I don't think either of them are JT, right? In terms of what they can do with their legs when it is time to go, which is fine, but it just means if they're going to be dangerous, they're, they're probably going to have to be dangerous with their arms. Yeah, I, just, just another thing that they're sort of working through again in real time. I, I do think... Also, I'm one of the reasons I want to see Kamal Court again is because I think the way that game started for him was so sketchy that first series that I do wonder if it affected not just on that next series where they're giving him bubble screens and stuff um, or those those jet sweeps, but like was Ryan Day calling this a little bit more conservative than he normally would have, and would he call this game differently with a more settled Kamal Court from the beginning? Would we get to see a different Kamal Court? The next time around, if he if he looks more confident, more settled from the first time he goes out there, does that change how Ryan Day calls this offense in a game where he didn't have to be super aggressive, obviously, to to beat Akron? I don't know. Did you I mean, they got a defensive score. They got another defensive short field. They have Trevion Henderson. I did you I mean, again, he was five of nine for ninety nine yards. And he finished, what, 13 of 18? So he only had the only other completion the rest of the way. He completed eight of his final nine passes. The only one was the pick. 
that he didn't complete. And the air yards on those passes after the five of nine start for 99 yards, the air yards were 726, 1624, 37, and minus one, and then 17. So, like, I actually, I mean, that's when they started, he threw balls over the middle. He threw some deep stuff down the sidelines. They, they forced the, the punt with the, the, the defensive timeouts late in the half to give him a chance to throw it 35 yards down the field to set up a field goal. I don't know. I don't – I mean, he threw 18 passes in two and a half quarters. Did you think they were – I mean, yes, the start. Yes, the start. He's, he's nervous, and then they give him some glorified hands off, handoffs that count as passes to get him settled in. But then I thought they let it go. I thought that, I thought that offense kind of looked like the offense that they would want to run with a more established quarterback, one that still is going to lean on Travion Henderson a lot. Yeah, I, I think also opponent comes into play too. Maybe that's more what I'm saying. Like I want to see that with this, what happens when it's not Akron too. Yeah, well, Akron that, stinks. That's the next that, step. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, which is why I would like to see him play. Yeah. And, the, yeah. Sure. and that, that, that's the tougher part of the gauge. So um, any thoughts on Jack Miller? Um, we, we kinda, he kinda was, I didn't watch. Yeah. No I, offense. We didn't I don't even talk about him after the, the game the other night. I don't think it's the conversation until, until, until it feels like the conversation, I'm just not going to spend a lot of time on it. No offense. Right. I, I, I thought he looked fine. Hard to gauge under the I didn't watch, I didn't watch any throws. And I, well, I watched was, the game I, the other night as it happened. I know, but we were writing. I, I didn't, I didn't watch the, I didn't, I don't think I saw him throw a ball because I was writing my thing and it was over. You know how it is. I mean, we all do that. It's like, sure, oh, sure, sure, it's sure. the middle of the third quarter. They're up by 40. Better write the story, especially for the 7.30 start. No offense to Jack Miller. Ryan Day will let me know when I need to pay attention to that at the moment. I don't think I do. Well, right. And, and, the, and the, the way that usage went um, pretty clearly defines where things are on the death row right now for the quarterbacks. We are coming back. We are going to break down the categories as usual here on Monday Madness. Doug, before we move on, anything else from the game that you wanted to break down again? Uh, I did try to rewatch the sacks because I had said after the game, I'm not sure how much were guys actually doing stuff and how much is just the Akron offensive line being overwhelmed. You know, Haskell Garrett got – they got a sack because Haskell Garrett just pushed his guy back into the quarterback with a bull rush. Zach Harrison had the sack that got wiped out by the seven banks penalty that was – he was unblocked. They just didn't block him, and he chased the quarterback down. Um, they had another one where, uh, JTT and Zach Harrison, I thought both beat their guys off the edge and collapsed the pocket. I think they used the old long arm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah get right in the, yeah, right there in the, uh, where your shoulder connect yeah, and push the guys back. So that was some hand stuff. And then, and then they, the quarterback stepped up and, and Haskell Garrett got the sack off that, uh, Jaron cage just completely destroyed the guard on his sack. Just like the guy looked like it was the worst pass pro form I've you ever see is like the guy was like leaning forward and yeah. Jaron Cage was just like get out of here and the guy's like oh, oh, oh. which again it's fine it's Akron um who's 51 who's 51 wait should I know this who's 51 who's 51 on the Ohio State football team no it's Michael Hall it's Michael Hall oh Michael Hall had a nice play where he destroyed the guard like like used his hands Got through a double team, I think. Um, no, he destroyed the center and then blew up the pocket, but then the quarterback escaped. But he blew up the pocket, just destroyed the center. Uh, Antoine Jackson, the quarterback held the ball, but Antoine Jackson just like knifed through a double team and did a pretty good job. And I think that led to a sack on one. And then they had one again where Haskell split a double team and JTT was unblocked. Again, it's these line calls. Sometimes, you know, you, you slide the protection and you've got to leave like, you know, you leave the – the guy furthest from the play unblocked and they're leaving the ends unblocked at times, but just keep that in mind. I just, I don't like going crazy about defensive ends getting pressure when it's like nobody blocked him. They literally, the, the assignment was don't block him or the blown or blocking assignment. He wasn't blocked. Great. He's in the backfield. They didn't block him. So like when it's like, Oh, they're dominating the game. It's like, he didn't, they didn't block him. So there were a couple of times when that happened on the edge. Haskell Garrett was good, but I just thought I was watching a lot of guys, just an overwhelmed offensive line. So I, I, I wanted to give credit when guys won their one-on-one matchups, like Cage really won a one-on-one a, a one -on -one matchup at one point and got it done. 
I thought Garrett did win some one-on-one matchups. So they do deserve credit for that. You can only play the guy in front of you. But I just don't want anyone to go too far. Don't go too far with thinking the defensive line is fixed. Yeah, I think it was a it was the culmination of a good week of practice. Like no offense it to Akron. It was the culmination of Akron having a terrible offensive line. What how well, do we know it was a good week of practice? I guess okay. Akron stinks. How do we know it was a good op- we don't know. They could have had a crappy practice and still beaten the crap out of a terrible Akron offensive line, couldn't they? Yes. What right? I'm saying is they're talking about having a good week of practice. They went out there and felt like they – whatever. All I'm saying was that it, it – as we said going into the game, that whatever production we saw, whether that was Kyle McCourt's passing yards or whether that was the defense doing things, that you had to take that with a grain of salt because it's only as good as what you can replicate now as you step back into playing real teams. And I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I'm giving Kyle McCord credit for stuff, but I'm not giving the defensive line credit for stuff because they were all playing the same overmatched Akron team. But, you know, one guy's trying to do something he's never done before. So, like, I want to give Mike Hall credit. Hey, Mike Hall did a nice job. He blew up the center and penetrated. He's never done it before either. But at some point, I just don't – when there's veteran guys and it's like, ah, the veteran guy's good enough right now. And it's like, well, all of a sudden they look well, – less because it was Akron. And JTT's doing it for the first time. But we've said JTT is the real deal. I mean, every part of JTT is the real deal. And so that, again, um, he still had moments against Akron where he's confirming that he's the real deal. Correct. Uh, Kyle McCord, by the way, named Big Ten Freshman of the Week, so that's Ohio State has swept that award through the first four weeks. All Are there no other freshmen? Is, is no one else in the Big Ten playing freshmen? No. Well, it, I mean, it, it does help when you have freshmen who are starting. Like, just being a freshman starter and having a starter's worth of stats to submit to the Big Ten each week takes you a long way towards winning that award. That's a good theoretical thing. Do you want to win a bunch of Big Ten Freshman of the Week awards if you're a good team? Especially a quarterback. Three to four weeks you've had the Big Ten Freshman of the Week, and it's been your starting quarterback. Good thing or bad? Could yeah. be good in November, but it, it, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Could be good in 2022. All right, yeah. moving on to the categories. Story of the Week. I think we're going to talk about this later in the week, right? Just kind of the, the Rutgers thing. I didn't we didn't you guys write a story maybe before I got here or did we write it after I got here like or it may have been just a pod topic like will Rutgers ever beat Ohio State? Not a story, not a story, not a story. A column. A column. Okay. It's not like I interviewed people. I just said it. I just said it after a game and then I grabbed Steve Politi, the great columnist from nj.com and made him stand and do a video with me like in the food area with McFlurries behind us. And I was like, Ohio State will never lose to Rutgers ever. The, the sun will engulf the earth before Rutgers beats Ohio State. And I made him stand there. And he was like, what? what? Why am I here? Why are you making me be here? So, um, yes, it is a theory of mine that my great-grandchildren may have to answer for at some point. Does it feel more real right now as you're standing here? We can just I, jump right ahead to Fear Factor, I guess, which is one right. of the other categories. So I rewatched Michigan Rutgers as well on Monday morning. Sorry we're getting this out to you late, but it's, uh, when I was at the Browns game on Sunday and everybody's late, and so we're, we're doing this Monday morning. But that was also part of the thing I used my time to do. And Michigan steamrolled them and then forgot how to play football, and then Rutgers did a bunch of fancy stuff, and they got scores a facade. So Rutgers got in the red zone twice late and kicked a field goal and then missed a 29-yard field goal and still got the ball back at the end with a chance to drive for a tying score, and then they turned it over for the first time all year. The first In the first half, it looked like Michigan should win that game 48-10. to 10. And the fact that it went the way it went, I think is more an indictment on Michigan than it is like a, ooh, watch out for Rutgers situation. Mm. So this was a Michigan team that people were, some of the analytics, some of the numbers really liked Michigan, but I did not come away. Listen, they got a couple guys. Aaron Cruikshank, that receiver, he can do a little bit. They got a couple guys in the backfield, Melton and Pacheco, right? Noah Vedrill at quarterback is a veteran dude. I get it. They're not scary. Uh, they're a little tricky. We can talk about some of their tricks they, they, they played. And then I have my Rutgers theory, which we can unveil here. But don't let the score fool you. 
Michigan like didn't get a first down in the second half until like five minutes to play. They just their offense imploded. They they sort of got away from they they got stopped a little bit. They dominated Rutgers in the run game. They ran all over Rutgers in the first half. Then the run game kind of didn't work as much, and then they got away from it. And then they had like four straight three and outs where the play calling was crazy. And they probably just needed to stick with the run, and it would have come back around. But Michigan just got up its own head and got put up its head up its own butt, or got in its own head, or got in its own butt. And Michigan, it was like, what are you doing? And they almost lost as a result. But I, I would not come away uh, any more frightened about like the talent level at Rutgers than Ohio State fans have become accustomed to. My impression of Rutgers right now is that they are just in this. Like, wait, can I say, here's my impression of Rutgers right now. Hey, I'm Rutgers. I should be named New Jersey State. I'm Rutgers. Sorry. It's just when we say, here's my impression. There's got to be. That's a terrible impression. First of all, you're from the East Coast. Yeah, there you go. Over here, I'm Rutgers over here. I'm a swamp monster. Hey, Nathan Baird, you grew up in a bean field. I'm Rutgers over here. That's my impression of Rutgers. It was really more of a cow pasture, but yeah. Um, Hoo-ah! That's not, that's not New Jersey. I never even saw that movie. I just know people say hoo for the one in one opportunity won that Oscar. He's blind. I don't yeah, want to I see a movie about a blind person. Hoo-ah. I don't want to see a blind. I mean, no offense. That's great. I just, it's not, I don't want to be entertained by that. It's just, I just want to see Tommy Boy. Sorry. hoo I'm Rutgers over here. Tony Soprano, Rutgers. That's offensive. Is it? Can you? Can you be? You can. You can offend a state still, right? Just jokingly, people can say stuff about. You know, Ohio. it's you're kind of walking the fence, probably, right? Because it's Am like I? it's on one hand, it's like, well, it depends on how you're probably how you're putting that forward. Are you just making fun? Are you? Is it a stereotype that applies to people of all races, creeds, and cultures, or is it more like the? Italian American stereotype. You know what I mean? Like it's a fine line that we walk with those sorts of things. I think you're, I think you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm just having a good time. I'm just, I blame the media. I blame the media and the way that they've created this perception, fair or not, of what people in New Jersey are like. It's not my, I just, I'm susceptible. I want to go back for a second. You can't watch a movie about a blind person. No, like, no I just can't... don't, I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be scared. I don't, I don't want to have to think and feel like I just don't want to acknowledge that bad things happen in the universe. I just, I don't want to have redemption. I just want all happy, funny, entertained. Maybe something blows up as long as nobody's hurt. That's all. My recollection of Scent of a Woman is it's not sad or scary. It's supposed to be kind of an uplifting. I don't want to be uplifted. Oh, okay. <laughs> Buckeye talk. <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking about now. Uh, uh, Rutgers. Oh, yeah. I was saying, so my impression of Rutgers at this point is that they have reached this stage where they're no longer in, uh, well, I mean, like an embarrassment, I guess, for lack of a better term. And now they've reached this like nuisance stage. And that's kind of an important stage as you're rebuilding that you've gotten to the point where like you are just the gum on people's shoe. And that's never going to be enough to like stop them from being able to walk, but they're going to have to like stop every once in a while and pick you off. And it's not going to be fun. I don't think they're at a place where they're going to beat a team like Ohio State or I know that they really took Michigan to the end last year, but last year was so screwed up. I don't know. that They're not going to, as we just saw, not going to beat a team like Michigan at this point. But if I'm a team like Michigan State right now this year, that seems like the kind of – I think Rutgers could like snipe somebody this year and that it might be some more in that like mid-level team. No, I, I think that's right because I think they play hard – and I think they play they play in a certain way, but the talent level to me is just is not quite there yet. And so that's that's what I can't get past. That when we think about like the Purdue teams that have given Ohio State trouble over the years, we've talked about it a million times. But whether it's a Ryan Kerrigan or a Rondale Moore or a guy like that, it's like, hey, they have like a dude who can really give them trouble. And then then you play hard and play smart and all that stuff. I just don't think Rutgers has that guy yet. And so until they get one of those guys, I just, I don't know how it happens because I, so, but, 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 can, but should I talk about my Rutgers theory now, now that I've offended everybody in New Jersey, I love New Jersey. I, I go down the shore. I go to the boardwalk. My sister lived in New Jersey for a long time. I, I quite enjoy New Jersey. So here's, I want Rutgers to make shirts 
that say NFTG, like Rutgers football, NFTG. And NFTG can be in big letters. And then you can have the small letters under it that say, it says, never forget to grow, right? That it's like, whatever you do in life, whatever you do as a football player, as a football team, as a football program, as a university, all your experiences should make you better for what you've gone through, good and bad. Never forget to grow. NFTG. But that actually wouldn't be what NFTG stands for. Because NFTG would stand for something else that I admire about the Rutgers program right now. Because they have none of them to give. And that is Rutgers football right now. NFTG, Rutgers football. Go, go. I don't know who makes shirts in New Jersey. I'm sure there's some kind of New, New Jersey pride company. Rutgers football, never forget to grow. That's not what it really means. And that's what I like. I, I espouse this idea walking off the field when we did our pod, you know, we do our podcast that are just, I guess, I, I, I get it. I, what, what, what would be a word that you would call a podcast that's just with your friends? Not for consumption. That would be, I guess, a conversation. A conversation. Right, a conversation. Just, a human, just a human interaction. Human interaction. <laughs> so we had one of those, one of those, whatever you call it. And I said, I think the best thing about Penn State under James Franklin is that they're not afraid of Ohio State. And I think if you line up all the other teams in the Big Ten, who's afraid of Ohio State the least? I think Penn State's number one, and I think Rutgers under Greg Schiano's number two. Because I think Michigan does act like they're afraid of Ohio State. They're at least in their own head about it. They try so hard to act like they're not that because they are, then it becomes fake or whatever. Like they're trapped, right? D'Antonio, I think, had that for a while. I'm not sure Michigan State's at that point yet. But I think everybody in the West is kind of in their own heads about Ohio State and how do we stop their explosive plays and all that stuff. I don't think Rutgers is, is, is like that. Because Shiano was here. Because Shiano is on the back. Like, Shiano's done everything at Rutgers that he can do already. He went out in the world. It didn't work out. So he's NFTG. He's back at Rutgers. I love it here. But what am I nervous about? What am I going to get fired? They crawled on their hands and knees to hire me. I'm the king of New Jersey. And what am I going to do, win a national championship at Rutgers? I'm not going to win a national championship at Rutgers, so let's just be the best we can be. So last week against Michigan, they went on a fourth down where they did, I think, fourth and one, and they did the thing where the quarterback looked to the sideline and was like, what's the play? And it's throwing his hands in the air, and the running back snuck under center and took the snap and tried to go like the tricky dipsy dukes kind of stuff didn't work, but that's Rutgers. And then they had another play where they had like their formation was three offensive linemen, three receivers on the left, three receivers on the right. And they, the quarterback and the running back, like one of those funky formations and they snapped at the quarterback and tried to run and they got called for an illegal formation. Cause if you do that right, it's legal. They did it wrong, but that they were trying to convert. So they're doing the stuff you expect. And they're going to do that against Ohio State, NFTG. That's how they're going to play. So they're going to do all this, and they don't give up. And Michigan got up on them and then didn't know how to put them away, just like Ohio State last year. So there's no way Rutgers is going to beat Ohio State, but the betting line might be interesting. And I know it's a small line. I think they are good enough to be a nuisance. There is nothing about them right now that is good enough to beat Ohio State. And again, it's Michigan's fault for letting them hang around. Michigan had a defensive injury or injury in the game, kind of goofed them up a little bit, and they kind of couldn't figure out how to put Rutgers away. So all the credit to Rutgers for that, but don't trick yourself into thinking Rutgers is, is going to get it done. Yeah, I've, I – I understand why they kind of approach the way the game, the way they do. I think it's, especially in the growth stage, never forget to grow in the growth stage. I think being throwing that trickery in there and catching teams off guard is good. And it's fun. I think it helps. As we talked about last year with Rutgers, I think it's something that helps you in a season where you're otherwise know you're going to lose games as a coach. I think it keeps your team on edge a little bit to be able to go out there and, and know you pulled something over on teams and stuff and have some success that way, but it can't be the foundation of what you're doing to win in the big 10. So it's, it's, it's a good thing. You know, frankly, I used to cover a team that did a little bit too much of that. I thought, you know, when Jeff Brom got to Purdue, I thought they were doing a lot of that stuff and it was catching people off guard and it was this nice little wrinkle they had, but then when they had to actually go toe to toe and beat people, you can see their record the last couple of years, you've seen what it is. They haven't made that next step. Um, so that's, I think still in the future for Rutgers that, this is sort of what you do right now to kind of get through this where you're trying to kind of bridge the gap talent wise. 
but I do think still think it's interesting. Like I mean, uh, so let's talk about the line. 17 is where it opened. Ohio State favored by 17. It's down to 15 and a half as we record this this morning, which is uh, you, you call it a small line. Really, that's a small line relative only to Ohio State Rutgers lines. They're usually more like anywhere from 30 to 50. Ohio State has not covered the last two though. They had covered five in a row. They've they've never lost to Rutgers, and in the last two years, Rutgers was able to to beat the spread. I agree with you that it's it's going to be an interesting one to pick later in the week, depending on how much more it moves. Um, but it's when Rutgers gets on the field this year with Michigan State, Indiana, whoever they're crossing over with from the West. That's where I think it's they they become an interesting team. Yeah, no, and I think that's the difference between like Michigan and Penn, or Michigan and Ohio State right now. That Michigan has been running people over. Cade McNamara hits some little slants. You know, he actually – he throws a nice ball. I thought – and I would like to have some more of a Michigan conversation at some point this week. He throws a nice ball. They don't ask him to do too much. But Michigan doesn't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson or Travion Henderson, frankly. Like, the, like Blake Corum's played really well for Michigan. He's not Travion Henderson in terms of, of explosiveness. And so that explosiveness factor, I'll be curious – to see Penn State play Rutgers, because I think Penn State is substantially more explosive than Michigan. Penn State's – Jahan Dotson's awesome. So I just don't think Rutgers can hang with that. So to me, it's sort of what happened with Michigan and Rutgers is, to me, is like a worst-case scenario for Ohio State, except I'd add two touchdowns to that total based on one for Olave and one for Wilson turning five-yard passes into 80-yard touchdowns, right? And Michigan's not there right now. So – it's just a different level that I, again, I just don't, I just, I, I, my guess is going to be that if, that I would hit this line pretty hard. And I would think that people are getting a little tricked by the Michigan game. They're getting a little tricked by, you know, just some clunkiness from Ohio state recently. But this to me just feels like a, a four touchdown win for Ohio state pretty easily. It's just a matter of would they be up by four touchdowns and then somehow blow it to let Rutgers score the last two touchdowns in the final six minutes. And all of a sudden they only win by 14 when they actually were 28 points better. That's the only part of the line that would make me nervous. But I, in terms of Ohio state actually being like 28 points better than Rutgers, I don't have much doubt about that. No, I think that's a good way to look at it. And people it's fresh in their minds. What happened last season where it was really not that close of a game in terms of like head to head football, but Rutgers didn't have screwy stuff that worked that, the betting line became a problem. So let's take another break. We're going to come back and finish up the categories here on Monday Madness. Wrapping up this episode of Buckeye Talk, um, margin call. This is where we like buy or sell something we're seeing in college football right now. I want to jump ahead one week on Ohio State schedule. I'm buying Talia Tagovailoa. I talked a lot in the preseason when we were kind of looking at Maryland and how good they could be this year or not. And the thing that was kind of hanging out there for me was how good is this guy? And he was really alternating good and bad performances last year. Now the bad performances came against some of the better teams they played as will happen. But this year, again, the the opponents have been West Virginia, Howard, Illinois, and Kent state. So they haven't played anybody good yet. West Virginia is like the closest thing they played to a good team. West Virginia but, almost beat Oklahoma on Saturday, by the right, way. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, so I'm giving him credit for that. But, you know, haven't played, you know, Ohio State or Penn State or any of those teams. So far, so these are his stats through four games. Uh, 72.2% completions, 332 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. 81.5% completions, 274 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. 74.4% completions, 350 yards, one touchdown, no picks. 75.6% completions, 384 yards, three touchdowns, and finally threw a pick against Kent State. Um, has taken seven sacks in four games, but I think you're starting to see the baseline rise on Tagovailoa and sorry, Tagovailoa. And it's I'm 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 intrigued because we're giving Ohio State credit for the youth movement that's going on and what these young guys have meant to this secondary. But if I'm this defensive staff, and I'm sure this probably is happening, my eye is probably on the horizon a little bit because I don't think they've played anybody quite like Tonga Vailoa yet. 
And I think it could be an issue um, that Ohio State's got to get ready for. No, I, I'll agree with, I'll agree with that. It's like, you just, cause right. I mean, it's just the thing you look for when you're, when you're talking about Ohio state is like, who has a chance, who has a chance. And you give them, you know, you give them a couple of the skill guys they have, some of the receivers they have and a quarterback who can do something in a league where a lot of quarterbacks can't do anything, Graham Mertz. And I, you gotta be on alert. I mean, it's going to be a noon game homecoming when they come in here. Um, I think I think it's possible by the time we get to kickoff of that game, we'll have gone too far, right? That we're getting, there's, but what what I'm not seeing with Rutgers in terms of who are the guys that can actually hurt Ohio State, I think Maryland has a couple of those guys, and yep. so I'm more interested in that. And it starts at quarterback, and he's played very well. Yeah, and his receivers are, are are showing up too. And you know, Raheem Jarrett is a guy that we've been uh, had our eye on for a while. He was a five star prospect that they were able to pull in there too um and what's the other guy demos uh dante demos uh jr yeah. um is having a big year so far uh, a senior like a more veteran guy there so and i think there's a third guy involved too so like they're spreading it around and, and getting some big performances in the passing game and that's that's still you know Ohio State seems like it has made strides there i just don't know that they've really faced a team that has really threatened them um you know oregon that wasn't really how they were built um, certainly not Kent State, or I'm sorry, I mean Akron. Um, and certainly not Minnesota. They weren't going to hurt you vertically. I just, I want to, th- this is a, a, a test. It's weird to think of it this way, but like Maryland is probably a test that this defense needs to pass in two weeks. Tulsa threw it pretty well in Ohio State, right? Tulsa yeah. was going to chuck it around and they threw it pretty well. So no, I agree with that. But I, but I, but yeah. there are, we, we've talked a lot about, you can see the pieces of that Ohio State secondary start to come together and by the way they're basically playing they're playing two safeties now the bullets become a safety you watch it when they're four wide they have two deep safeties which again is like i guess they did that at times in the past but they're also were times with like why they're four wide and you have a single deep safety so they have two safeties and then when they put they only have three wide or have a tight end in the game ronnie hickman creeps up and it it, it gives a different look but ronnie hickman's playing deep a lot and so they've made that adjustment and but Tonga Vailoa is the guy who's probably going to test that even more than Anthony Brown did, even more than Anthony Brown did. Maryland's going to chuck it around more. And Tulsa's was sort of like accumulating stats, move the ball at times for sure. But I think Tonga Vailoa, I agree, is more of a threat. Do you have anything for margin call? Can I sell the whole West? Can I sell the whole, whole Big, Big Ten, Ten West? West? The whole West. The whole West. And I also would like to buy noodles for lunch. Man, the whole including Iowa. I feel like this this Jack so in the Notre Dame Wisconsin game, the quarterbacks couldn't throw until Notre Dame put its third quarterback in. And then he was the best quarterback in the game and you know why? Cuz he was never cursed by being at, at Wisconsin. They're just it's like they get they I think I've I've been calling those guys noodle arms for years. I think they have normal arms when they get there and they get noodle-fied. Graham Mertz, man, and, and we had some textures like stop talking about Graham Mertz. We're done. Like that is not it. Jack Cohn, like, is better at Notre Dame than he was at Wisconsin, but the passing in that Wisconsin Notre Dame game was embarrassing, like the whole game. And like if that's Wisconsin, the West in Big Ten play is too. And seven, Iowa beat Indiana, and then Purdue barely beat Illinois. That's within the West. And then, oh, they're three and seven, because then Illinois beat Nebraska. But it's like Minnesota lost to Bowling Green. Northwestern's not good this year. Wisconsin's not good. Nebraska is still terrible, even when they try to look a little more competitive against people. And then Iowa struggled with Colorado State. I I have no doubt that Penn State is the second-best team in the Big Ten right now. I'm not saying Iowa's bad. But th- th- there's no way that I was not winning the West. Who who else is even a candidate? Is anyone in the West going to even finish above 500? Are they? I think the West might have a game this year where they declare both teams lose. Like when 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 Nebraska plays Minnesota, they might just say just both take the L. Wisconsin, I, I mean, it's really not. I, I don't care. It's not like I'm I'm not personally disappointed. I'm not offended by this, but. The times when people try in the past have tried to argue, well, the West is like, it's not good. And so 
uh, I thought that was a bad week for the West, and I don't know how it's going to get better. Maybe Bielema. I mean, Bielema, Brett Bielema is watching this and saying, like, I better own the West two years from now because the door is wide open for Illinois. I will be curious. This was like the th- – like, Graham Mertz was the peak for Paul Christ. And that it's unfolding like this makes me wonder what people in Wisconsin are going to think because it felt like Wisconsin knew what it was, but there was always like, well, just wait, what if we get this? And then they got that and it's like, oh no, we've ruined it. And I wonder if people will will not turn on Paul Christ because he's a really good coach. He's done a very good job there and won a lot, but start to wonder. And I don't know what Wisconsin, what the fan base is aspirationally. Are they, are they satisfied being Wisconsin, which is being like whatever, the 14th best program in college football? I, that's nothing to sneeze at. They've been awesome. But what's happening right now is it feels like it's making very clear they, they are not going to be any more than that, and that's it. So I'll be curious to see how what the reaction is like in Wisconsin. Not that I will monitor it. I'm curious about a thing that I will have no idea how it's actually going because I'm not going to call anybody Wisconsin and ask them. And I'm not going to read anything about it because <laughs> I don't care enough. So again, I've offended New Jersey and I don't care about Wisconsin. I will also like to perfectly say I'm from Ohio. Hey, LeBron James left the state. I don't even know. What, Wait, is there an Ohio accent? Oh, Hey, Ohio is like part of Canada, eh? That was, hey, that was what's, Jerry Immig, who lives in hey, Ohio but does not have any kind of Ohio accent. What's the Rust Belt? Hey, I got a hockey team over – I don't know. I'm just trying to think what a New Jersey person – I'm preemptively doing a New Jersey person who is angered by my – here's my impression of Rutgers – what they would say about Ohio. Because, you know, we're all in this together. But the West stinks. So let's jump ahead in the categories and to who's number two, which is where we pick who we think the second best team in the Big Ten is. Are you saying that you think it is now Ohio State again behind Penn State? I think I would still maybe vote Iowa. I would still vote Iowa. Why? I feel like the this defense that Iowa has right now, um, when you look at the analytics, you look at the stats that are out there, I mean, other than like Georgia, not a lot of teams are, are performing better than this right now. Um, I'm, I am concerned about like the, how dynamic the offense is and what the ceiling is on that, um, that that might limit them. And if they got on a field with a team like Ohio state, that that might be a problem, but I, it also feels like a team. I know that they just stumbled this past week and still won, but really, no, I don't know that they stumble any more than Ohio state did against Tulsa at home the week before that. Did you and, just... and, and, and Iowa has beaten Iowa state, which we know Iowa state isn't as good as we thought they were going to be. They've beaten Indiana. I just feel like there's, you know, if you're splitting hairs between Iowa and Ohio state right now, I feel like Iowa's actually done things on the field this season. that Ohio state hasn't. That's probably fair. I was not impressed uh, trailing Colorado state at halftime. I just had a, I had, I had trouble with that. Colorado state's not good. And it reinforced some things. I mean, their, their defense is smothering. But when it's time to go, I don't know if their offense is going to be able to hang with a team like Ohio State or Penn State if those guys are getting any kind of decent quarterback play. So I just thought, I just thought it was a weird game from Iowa. So um, I will definitely – I would say my rankings right now would be Penn State 1, Ohio State 2, Iowa 3. I think that's fair. I think it's a fair question to ask. I mean, the, the Iowa running game is impressive, but is the whole thing there? I think that definitely remains to be seen. Um, closing out with ballot boxing. I don't even if you looked at my top 25 ballot. I did move Georgia up to number one. This did you week. get crap for that? Did you get crap for that? I don't know if I got Georgia. Up. I don't know if I got crap for it. I got to say I didn't last week. I, I had some good interaction on the texts after putting in my ballot. I had too much stuff to do yesterday. So I didn't really have a chance to do that um, because just a quick turnaround from the game the night before. So I don't know if people there were giving me crap. I know that there was an Alabama Twitter account that I think was asking me, why'd you, why'd you change? But they weren't really asking in an angry way. Um, but for me, sometimes because, and you having voted in this poll many times, you just can't watch everything. You can't absorb everything 
before putting in your ballot for that week. Like it's just impossible. Correct. So sometimes you're a little bit, you're almost like a week behind on like coming to some realizations. And I felt like I was, that happened with me a little bit with Georgia, just that their offense is now starting to click in a way where you see the combination of that and the defense and what that could mean. Uh, but you were getting – because you were the only person in the country who changed because Alabama had 59 first-place votes and Georgia had three the week before, and then this week it was 58 and yeah. four. Yeah. So you were the only AP voter that decided to go toward Georgia, and you are one of the four votes for Georgia, which I 100% agree with because I've been saying that. I would be voting for Georgia, so I appreciate – I don't appreciate the fact that like, I agree with you. I agree with you putting Georgia there. But again, anybody who gets wound up about the fact like, well, they didn't lose. So they should like, stop. That's not no, go back to oh, 1974. They didn't lose. They're the defending national champion until they lose. Just go back to 1974. So um, did you rank Clemson comes in at 25th at two and two? Did you rank Clemson? I didn't have Clemson in and I did not have Iowa state in. I didn't know. I couldn't, this isn't, I'm not, this isn't a hard and fast rule of mine. Because sometimes you go on the road, you're better than the other team, but things happen. You lose narrowly. They lost in overtime at NC State. But only four games in when it's a team taking its second loss. If I can't put the team that beat them in my top 25, then I can't really put them anywhere in my top 25, I felt like. I think Clemson will be back in my top 25. I think they're Clemson's probably better than Coastal Carolina. I mean, certainly better than Coastal Carolina, I think. I would take them over Coastal Carolina. But at some point – are you just, you know what I'm saying here? Like, what is your criteria for deciding a top 25? And at some point, I think that something like that has to come into play. That how can I justify ranking Clemson if I'm not going to rank NC State? Only four. No, I agree. There, I, there's no way I would rank Clemson this week. They should have lost to Georgia Tech the week before. Yeah. Their only win that, that has, in convincing at all, is against South Carolina State. Like right. an, F, an FBS team. Or an FCS team, I mean. So, like, they, I mean, they've been bad. And they have, like, a huge flaw. It's not like, oh, it's like they have a thing that they're terrible at, which is offense. So, I, I, don't, I don't question that at all. I actually think it's great that the AP dropped them to 25th. I think, I think I would not vote for them. But the coaches poll still has them 19th. So, I mean, they've done nothing. They have done nothing. Other than play good defense against a Georgia team that was missing like four of its top five skill skill guys, they've done nothing to warrant being getting a vote at, at any level. And so, and by the way, like the idea of like, well, I think it's like, I mean, maybe they also might lose to Boston College this week. Yeah, you know, like that's like they really they, they might be they they might be headed towards an eight and four season, seven and five even, because because if they are that vulnerable, if they can't move the ball. And Brian Brzee told his, tore his ACL, is out for the year, one of their best defensive players. Will Shipley did not tear his ACL, their freshman running back, but he's hurt and he's out for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Clemson-BC line is this week, but Jeff Halfley is like, this is the, how I get the Penn State job. Well, so, sort of, except now some of the luster is taken off. of you're not, you're, You'll barely be reading a, beating a ranked Clemson team at this point. But you're right, it, it still has some cachet. It would be a huge. It would be a huge win for BC to get them. So like Clemson they're in, is, they're in real trouble. They're they're done. I mean they're done. That's not a declaration. I've read something online. It makes me laugh. It's 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 uh like the athletic retweet. It was like it was like Clemson's national title hopes are over. Ari Wasserman like Ari declared it on their show, and it's like everybody in America declared yeah, that. I'm not yeah. saying Ari's wrong, but I'm saying like why is why is the why is that being presented on Twitter like a bold statement? It's like Ari is correct. They're bad. They're two and two. I mean, well, there's no way. Yeah. I'm going to kick. I hope we kick them out on the playoff show this week. I'm assuming we will, and then never talk about them again the rest of the year. Oh, I, I yeah, you you would have to. I mean, um, I, 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 there shouldn't even be a discussion, right? Once a team gets to two losses, don't you have to automatically? Kick Nobody's them out made it. I mean, unless you think that that everybody else is going to have two losses. But so. even if even in a scenario where Let's go like real deep fan fiction here. Uh, Georgia goes undefeated. Alabama um, loses 
once, maybe maybe only loses to Georgia in the national championship game, and then every other contender has two losses. How does Clemson put together a resume at this point that gets in with two losses? Yeah. Like, it, 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 because the committee likes balance, and they like teams that can go out there and really put some points up. And I don't think they're going to give Clemson credit if it just like um, slugs its way to a ten and two regular season at this point with by you know, twenty one to seventeen every week. Right. No, I agree. Right. I had uh, Penn State four, Iowa five. I'm, I'm, I probably should have dropped Iowa more. Cincinnati was off this week. Oklahoma doesn't look great. I, I'm not that excited about Notre Dame. This Cincinnati plays Notre Dame this week, so that's uh, that's a yep. huge game for the Bearcats. I just, it's, man, it's it's it's, it's rough. a weird this group. Is, no, it's a weird group. There, the door is wide open. The door is absolutely wide open this year for multiple teams who have never made the playoff before. Whether it's a team like Penn State, whether it's a team like Arkansas, if they can get something going in the SEC West, which is hard, you know, there's whether it's Cincinnati, this is their chance to run the table and and prove that a group of five team can deserve to be in. There's, I mean, Oklahoma has looked really, really vulnerable uh, as it has Ohio State and Clemson's out. So that's quite a thing. That's quite a thing. Opportunities abound. I'm starting to wonder about Oklahoma. Like, yes, they've looked vulnerable. It hasn't been emphatic but is this like they like they've been vulnerable but nobody got them and then like if it clicks in for them then they're still in good position just because of who they are and, and where they are I, boy you know the, the one of the big arguments that people had against expanding the playoffs for people who didn't want to do that was that there you can you can always you know four is enough you can tell who the four best teams are and the eye test gets you there and the analytics get you there every year. And that I just, I'm really going to be interested to see if people really feel that way in December this year. Cause I sure don't feel that way right now. This, the eye test is not telling me anything about who the actual four best teams in college football are right now. But, like but the problem is the reason that people want an expanded playoff because they're sick of the same teams. And so it's like three of the four teams that are the same teams, one's out and two have looked vulnerable and everybody's like, ah, this season stinks. And it's like, okay, right. but this is what you want. It's not, Clemson's out, and Oklahoma and Ohio State look to be on the edge. They could lose any week. So, great. It's opportunities for the teams I just said, but, like, no one seems excited about the opportunities. Maybe it'll just be Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and Penn State. Cool. And Cincinnati fighting to get in. What's wrong with that? But, like, everybody, like everybody's thrown off by the, the powers that people are sick of having a little bit of a down year. But so I don't know what people like I don't know what people want. So is it that people who want a 12 team or an 8 team is it just cuz you're sick of Alabama or do you want to expand opportunity or is it like oh no actually it's the four teams good now cuz Penn State and Oregon got in. I was just sick of seeing Clemson. I actually don't want any more teams. As long as Clemson doesn't make it every year, I'm good. Is that really what people think? I think I think partly that's what we're finding out is to some degree partially true. I think what could be unfortunate is if Oklahoma keeps doing what it's doing and does it all season and just makes the playoff that way. And people think, are they really any good at all? And they just sort of like slump their way in and um, Notre Dame maybe does the same thing. Like Notre Dame hasn't been that impressive. I mean, I know the final score that Wisconsin game got away, but it was much tighter the whole time. Notre Dame didn't, wasn't blowing the doors off of them. Most of that game, you could say the same thing about Ohio state, like does Ohio state limp along and then make it in, you know, they, they beat Penn state and then they get in. Like you could still end up having Georgia, Alabama, and then like some combination of Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Ohio state as the four playoff teams, but in a non-emphatic way, other than maybe what Georgia and Alabama do at the top. I just don't know. I like, I don't know what people want. Like if we go to a 12 team, which I have come around on for sure. It's like, you know how many teams are going to limp into a 12 team? Nine. <laughs> Nine of 12 are going to be limping, but at least they're in, yeah. and they're, at least they're in the mix, and they're in the conversation. Right now, everybody's in the conversation. Old Miss is in the conversation playing Bama this week, right? Arkansas is in the conversation. Cincinnati's in the conversation. Iowa's in the conversation. Oregon's in the conversation. All of that is real. So that's the good side. So if we can't treat that as good, then what are we doing? Then we may as well go back to a two-team thing and just let Bama and Georgia play a rematch of the SEC championship game for the national title because it looks like they're clearly the best two teams. But the other thing to remember, too, in a 12-team format, if, like, if Clemson got things yes. going offensively and just won out, I could absolutely see them rising all the way up to 
number twelve in the rankings. And but, but it wouldn't They're going to win the ACC. They'd be in as the yeah, ACC. Yeah, yeah, that's champ. true. That's true. They, if they won, the ACC, you just got to yeah. be a champ. I mean, like that's, that's the thing. Yep. You keep the championship thing alive. That right now, it's not that it's not that Clemson can't win the ACC. It's that I would believe that being the ACC champ with two losses isn't good enough. You know, but clearly they they. I think they might be the favorite to still win the ACC. I just don't think they're getting a four, there's a scenario where they get in a 14 playoff. No, I don't. I don't think it can happen. I still had Ohio State number 11. I jumped Florida and Arkansas ahead of them and Notre Dame. I had Notre Dame behind them last week. Um, yeah, Cincinnati and Notre Dame. That's going to be a, a fun one. Is it? Is we'll it going to be fun? It's going to have, fun? have repercussions on this ballot for next yes. week. Yes, <laughs> it's important. It might not be fun. Just because I like Cincinnati might roll them. I don't know. Like, again, Cincinnati's favored in that game. Uh, so it's in really important for that program. So this is their shot. And Notre Dame's not great, but Notre Dame's undefeated and in the top 10. So here it is, Cincinnati. And, and it, it will be interesting, maybe not fun. Was Wisconsin-Notre Dame fun? Or was Wisconsin-Notre no. Dame like, oh, my God. No, I mean, Wisconsin's got a good defense, too, which affected that. But it's uh, – no, that was not, like, an exciting game between two ranked teams. It was – yeah, it was whatever it was. And uh, and we just get to deal with the painful result. It feels like there's a lot of that this year in college football. That's going to wrap up this edition of Buckeye Talk. We're here five days a week. We'll be back Tuesday after we talk to Ryan Day, after we talk to whoever else we get to talk to lately. We won't be back Tuesday. We'll be back No, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday. 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 Wednesday, but we're talking to Ryan Day tomorrow, Tuesday, after um, his usual noon thing, and we'll hopefully get a defensive coach. We didn't get any players the past two weeks at that noon Tuesday press conference. We'll see if that changes. We still haven't talked to Kyle McCord, so we'll see if that changes or if we get C.J. Stroud or what's going on with the quarterbacks because I think there's a lot to discuss there. Hopefully we get to discuss it with them. For Doug Maurice, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.